You know what it is. That's right. It's time to talk money with your money nerd and financial coach. Now, tighten those purse strings and open those ears. It's the Money Talk with Tiff podcast. Hello, hello. Hey, hey. How's it going? Girl, Monday. That's all I got to say. <laughs> but isn't this a welcome into your Monday? <laughs> this is the best part of my Monday. <laughs> like, this is oh. legitimately the best part of my Monday. Oh. Did y'all hear Christy Alley died? Uh-uh. Oh, my God. RIP to a queen. Cause I've is that the lady on Cheers? Or... Yes, yes. The lady from Swear. She had cancer. They just announced it. I was devastated. Look who's talking taught me where babies really came from. Yeah, yeah she was everybody's wife or mother or something. Like that. Um, so anyway, I invited Stephen and Nasima up. So I hope you all got your your invites. You might be still on the trail. Yeah. Right now. Give her a minute. <laughs> <laughs> she got transitioned from the linens to the clothes. Oh, you saw that? I was dying, boy. <laughs> I'm like, y'all gotta invite me. I'm like, I pulled up. I'm like, first of all, why the link ain't work for me and there's seven people here? And then second, I'm like, nah, she bold. I was like, that's real. That's a real one. Hey, I'm, I'm glad you yeah, said that you brought me on. Because I was just going. Can you hear me? Running for your life. We can hear you. (laughs) She said, running for your life. (laughs) (laughs) I'm almost done. I'm going to get uh, this next mile in, and then then I'm off this thing. Next mile? Yeah, Steve is at a level of fitness that I aspire to be. I cut it off November, December, January. I start fresh. Listen, at this point, my husband gonna get whatever the fuck come out these leggings because I'm not. Oh, <laughs> <I'm>, wow! <laughs> absolutely not. Where's Rakim? How like where, where's everybody? I, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm listening to y'all. <laughs> Carry on. I'm chilling. And your heated seats and everything? No, nah, actually, I'm laying down on my couch, but I'm getting up now. <laughs> I had a long day today. All right, y'all. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Um, so that way we can end on time. <laughs> uh, so I'll go ahead and get introduction started. This is Finn Noir, a space for Black Money Talk. We do this every Monday at 9 p.m. So make sure you join us. And we're exclusively on Twitter. So you do have to find us on Twitter, even though we thought about doing some other platforms, which may be coming soon. We'll see. Uh, but my name is Tiffany Grant. I'm one of your hosts. I run the Money Talk with Tiff platform which is a financial education and literacy platform and um my co-host is rakim sabri if you want to introduce yourself rakim sabri here you guys know i cover financial trauma and financial empowerment for people who look like me i am the co-host and uh i've run the overcoming financial trauma platform which is both a substack newsletter and a podcast and i'm happy to be here tonight I'll introduce Marquia. Marquia is next. Thank you. <laughs> hey, everybody. My name is Marquia. I'm known as the Money Plug on social media. And I use my platform to teach Black people all about personal finance. Perfect. Thank you. And Ronnie? 
Shout out to everybody. How's everybody doing? My name is Ronnie Good. I'm a CPA certified public accountant. Uh, I help business owners and real estate investors use the tax code in order to build wealth. You can follow me at, at Rhythm Accounting across all platforms. Perfect. And about that wallet, aka Anthony. Hey, everybody. My name is Anthony. I am the host of the About That Wallet podcast, where we help you build strong financial habits. Perfect. And Steven? Hey, what's going on, everybody? My name is Steven Stack, um, and I am a debt-free millionaire. I help people with building wealth using my experience. Uh, and you may hear some noise in the background. I also believe that wealth goes beyond just what's in your bank account to the person you're becoming. So health is important too, which is why I'm on the trip. <laughs> Steven makes us all look like slackers. Um, and then Jonathan. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. My name is Jonathan. Uh, I run J. Thomas Lewis on TikTok and Instagram. I help people build wealth and use their bank banks to partner with them. And yes, Steven, I'll work on decreasing my eating right now. <laughs> All right, and Miss Seema. It's going to be a little loud. I'm out to eat with my kids, but I'm Miss Seema, McElroy, labor and delivery nurse, and I teach people how to build real wealth. Thank you, ma'am. And then Nia. Hello, I'm Nia, creator and founder of Perspectives. I take women from struggling and stress to empowered about money so they can achieve financial stability. Perfect. So that is our panel for tonight. As you can see, we have a bomb squad. Um, and the topic that we want to cover today, which will probably hit a lot of people, is not feeling worthy of financial stability. Um, I know that this is something personally that I have struggled with in the past. And um Nia had brought up this topic, so I'm not going to jump in yet. I want Nia to go ahead and get us started, and then we could just have a conversation around it. Sorry, I was posting the link on my story. Um, so I brought this up because I run into this a lot with my students. Um, I help individuals prepare their finances for home ownership, and I've had several students tell me before how they didn't feel they were worthy of owning a home. Uh, they feel uncomfortable whenever they're in spaces with people with money um, because they don't feel like they belong there. Um, and I feel like, you know, Rakim will probably elaborate on this, but I feel like it stems from different traumas and experiences that we've all had in our lives. And those things kind of trickle into our money habits and our feelings about monies. And then it actually affects how we use money as a whole. Yes, definitely agree with that. And, you know, I, I see it all the time. And like I said, I've, I've gone through that. And even recently as, um, you know, 2020, 2020, I felt like, oh, my gosh, like my financial house is not in order. This is what I preach about. This is what I speak about. And mine is not in order. So it was like, okay, am I worthy to be um, talking to people about this? Am I you know, is this something that I'm able to do or I'm supposed to do? Uh, so it can look like so many different things. Reckon? Damn, you caught me chewing. <clears throat> but um, I wanted to say, I think it's super important that we lead by example and that we share our stories, particularly as it relates to this topic, because 
Um, oftentimes it is presented that we have it all together and that we don't go through these challenges. Um, 2020 wasn't my year. I think it was actually this year that was my year where I kind of felt that way. And um, I shared with you guys kind of in passing, but I just bought a new car. Um, well, I just leased a new car. And Tiffany knows because I was texting her up until the moment that I went to the dealership. I was experiencing a lot of anxiety that day because my previous lease was up and I needed to figure out what I was going to do. And so I had to resign to two options, either buying the car out, which would have involved me liquidating a portion of my um, portfolio or financing the car. And um, I didn't know if I could qualify financing based off of not being a W-2 employee and what my income was. So when I went into the dealership, it did not occur to me that I could possibly get a new lease. And the irony of that situation was that they were basically like throwing this car at me. Like they were begging me to lease this new car. Gave me every like deal they could give me, waived all the fees. Like I walked out of the dealership paying uh, $316 for my first month payment. And when I was driving home and I was reflecting on the experience, I was like, man, I don't even deserve a new car. Like I'm not making, you know, the money that I should be making. Like I had a really tough year financially. There were bills that I was late on, um, bills that I was late on past 30 days. And, you know, to Tiffany's point, we're here every single day creating this content. Um, for audiences to consume around how do you make the right decisions financially um, or how do you approach your money? And here I am kind of like feeling like an imposter. But the balance to that has been you guys um, in truth, you know, having you guys as a community to kind of share these experiences, the ups, the downs, the, you know, the cheerleading in the corner, like, hey, you know, you accomplished this, like, great job. Um, community has been so essential to not only what growth has looked like in combating these feelings, but also in recognizing the accomplishments that I personally have had. I mean, Marquis and I talked about this on a live last week, but um, and being able to share in each other's success so that we can uh, reach for higher goals. So, um, yes, to Nia's point, I think there is definitely an aspect of trauma that influence what we feel in terms of whether or not we're worthy or deserving of these, these gifts, these blessings that we work so hard for. Um, but I mean, I know we didn't ask for solutions, but I'm going to throw some of the solutioning out there. Community and your support system is super huge in being able to like hold up this mirror and reflect like, what is it that you've done and remind you like, this is, this is what you're in the game for. Yes. And I just wanted to add on because you brought up a really good point too, just in telling your story. And a lot of it is the stories that we tell ourselves, right? So before you went into the dealership, you were like, oh my gosh, this is not going to work. I'm panicking. Like, I'm not going to have a car. I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to have to do that. <laughs> like going through all these different scenarios that 
none of them were even um, going to happen, as you can see. But it's like in our head, we're just going through all the different scenarios that could possibly happen. And then we start freaking out. And then we start making moves or doing things that are not beneficial for us. And so I feel like that's a big part of um, why we should be having this conversation right now is a lot of mental. And I feel like that gets a, a lot looked over. It's getting more buzz today, but it's been looked over for quite some time. But it's so, so very important because all day, every day, we're telling ourselves stories. So if we're telling ourselves stories, I would rather than be positive stories, right? Instead of going on negative autopilot, we go on positive autopilot. But I'm not going to get woo-woo yet. Um, I think Nia had her hand up first. So I wanted to double down on what Rakim is saying. Like you said, he kind of had the conversation in his head, and I think that's exactly what it is. We talk ourselves down and we talk ourselves out of many things before we ever get the opportunity to do them. But it's all based on fear. It's all based on uh, confidence levels and things like that. For me personally, I started including confidence. Um, I don't know if you want to say confidence coaching or different type of things to not convince, but empower. And that's one of the reasons I switched my thing to say empower them about money, because I want people to know that you can do it because if they don't think they can do it, it does not matter how many tools, resources, I could get up on a handstand on one leg and, and do their money for them, but it's not really gonna resonate with them. They're not gonna take it. They're not gonna be able to apply it because they don't feel like they have the ability to do it. Definitely agree. And I'm over here like, you do a handstand with one leg. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but Marquia and then Jonathan. And you know what? It's so funny that we're having this conversation because <clears throat> I was just talking to um, a friend of mine. So I'm one of those people where like I can spend money on other people, but when I spend money on myself, I get that guilty feeling. And I wholeheartedly attribute it to the fact that um, it's like, it's PTSD. It's financial PTSD from all of those self-help books that they forced on me during my, I call it my rough period or, or my Van Gogh era, right? Because I was a genius, but I just, I, they just wasn't seeing it. <laughs> but like all the, you know, in the military specifically, when you, when they find out that you have financial issues, they, they do, they try their hardest to help. But in all actuality, I really feel like it crippled me more than helped me because they forced me to read the Suze Orman books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Total Money Makeover, um, you know, all of these books. And those did nothing for me. I did not relate to those books. They did not resonate with me. So now I have all of these skills that are in my head that I should be putting into action. And I couldn't put it into action because I didn't have my mindset together first. I didn't understand that, you know, a lot of these books didn't come from the, well, I'm not even making enough money to make ends meet. So how am I supposed to save for my emergency fund? They didn't address the traumas that are associated with my community where my grandparents, you know, they didn't have credit. Um, my mom didn't have credit. So I should like, don't touch credit cards. You don't need them. Don't, you know, but unfortunately you need credit to really be something or do something in America. If you're not making the kind of money where you can just outright buy everything in cash. And even then you still need credit. So it was just like, I felt like I was force fed all of these things, but it wasn't what I needed specifically. And now that I'm older and having to unlearn those things, um, they manifest themselves kind of in the small little panic attacks I have, like when I bought my MacBook, I mean, my iMac, 
my iMac was a very necessary purchase for my business. I needed it. But I kept talking myself out of it month after month after month. I was like, nah, you be all right. Nah, you be good. Uh, we can go without it. Mm, we got better stuff we could be doing. Like, we got bigger stuff we could be doing. And it a thousand percent was the manifestation of that trauma that I thought I was past. I thought I was over it. I'm sitting here telling all these people on social media, like, bro, like, you this, you that. You a queen. Spend, spend your money, girl. Da, da, da. And I'm sitting here hyperventilating because I just put checkout on this damn iMac on Apple.com. Like, and I'm supposed to be picking it up in an hour. So it's so crazy that we're having this conversation because it's just like, do you ever truly get over this? Like, because, you know, and Rakim has talked about this to a point, trauma, you know, kind of pops up unexpectedly. Like, you know, no matter all the planning and everything that you could do in life, there are certain situations that you just can't account for. And so do you ever truly overcome this particular trauma of feeling guilty when you're spending money on yourself or when you're like Rakim said, you know, when you got bills and stuff due, but you know, you go buy yourself something nice. Like, do you ever truly get over that? So really quick, I just want to answer your question um, just from my perspective. So. I've been going to therapy for quite some time, on and off, um, probably since early 20s, like 21 or something. Um, But what I've noticed is, you know, there'll be situations where I'll go to therapy or I'll talk it out and I'll get my answer. I'll get my awareness. I get what I need to do, coping mechanisms or whatever. And then later on, there's a whole different thing, you know. Um, So I feel like the same thing happens with our money, too. And you know, the stuff, it'll come up, it'll come up in different ways. But as long as you're aware that, oh, this is trauma, like this isn't, this is, this isn't real per se. This is just something that I'm repeating to myself. Um, As long as you have that awareness, then you can start working, actively working towards solutions versus getting stuck in that pattern. Uh, So that's my um, point of view on that. It's just, you do work through certain issues, but that doesn't say that other issues might come up afterwards, if if that makes sense. Um, and I want to go to Jonathan and then Rakim. Well, hold on a second. I just I want to answer Marquez's question before we okay. go to Jonathan. Um, and it, and it's not going to be long. I promise. It's really going to just build on what Tiffany shared. When we think about trauma, it's a moment in time, right? It's a moment in time experience, and so. There's no amount of growth or, you know, other experiences that's going to erase that. And so what happens in the brain as it relates to to that experience is your brain doesn't know the difference between experiencing it in that moment or reliving that through a memory. So if something triggers that memory or that trauma, your body reacts to it the same way. So I think Tiffany, like, hit the nail on the head when she said that we don't necessarily get rid of it, right? Because it's like erasing a memory. What we do is we learn how to navigate those feelings or the reaction to that experience with, you know, the combination of tools and strategies and, you know, the support system that I talked about. So, um, you know, my platform now is overcoming financial trauma. And it's really just kind of talking through these are the experiences that we have. And the the thing about it is, like, there's no amount of mastery, right, that erases that trauma or that shields you from experiencing additional trauma. 
where I place the focus and where I think a lot of people who are practitioners place the focus is in teaching people how to be mindful um, when they come, when they are face to face with these experiences so that they can recognize I'm safe, right? Like I'm not in danger right now. I have my basic needs met. Um, you know, I need to breathe and, and, and recognize that this is where I am right now so that I can create a plan instead of being very reactionary. And that's where the overcoming part comes from. It's kind of like the idea of fearlessness. Fearlessness is an illusion. There's no such thing as fearlessness. We all experience fear. But there are those of us who learn how to navigate those feelings of fear or those of us who will be paralyzed in the face of that fear. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll yield to Jonathan. No, I appreciate you jumping in. It, it's uh, I hate to borrow from everybody's phrase and say it's so interesting interesting that we're speaking about this now because my wife and I were talking about two, three days ago. And one of the things that um, I think someone had mentioned, my phone's going out, but I think the imposter syndrome of being a teacher of personal finance when number one, you're not there yet. And then I think another case that for those who have reached a certain level of success and have large platforms where they tend to uh, lose a little bit of engagement in their platform is because people say, well, you can't necessarily identify with the problems I have, even though they've been there. It's just now they've reached a certain level of financial success and uh, success in their business or whatever their career is. The thing that me and my wife kind of discuss or the thing that I'm kind of learning on what I like to call my path, but it's a little bit more of a slower, I'm not blowing up, is that... <laughs> consistency with this financial stuff does work over time. But like many of you have already stated, it doesn't excuse all the different things that have come up. And so each stage of your wealth, I'm sorry, your wealth building uh, that I'm starting to discover, it yields new opportunities. So there was an opportunity where I didn't have an emergency fund and tire went out and I'm frantic. Uh, that stuff still happens. Cars break down. But the fact that I'm not as concerned if my car breaks down is, for me, an indicator of, man, you must be doing on the right track. The fact that Rakim, um, not to <laughs> blast your business or anything like that, the fact that when you said, hey, I'm going into the dealership and I was going to purchase a car, I thought about I was going to sell some stock. Well, the fact that 58% of people can't even use that option <laughs> or that that's even an option for you is a level of success in this whole journey that many people haven't been able to discover. And the thing that when you start to, you increase your income and your assets are starting to grow, and I'd be really interested to hear how Steven is once he's crossed that million dollar mark, what, what that really looked like mentally, but we're in a stage where all our peers are struggling with things. And yeah, we might have to purchase cars. We bought a house. We do all these things and we do it so rapidly, but we don't realize how quickly we've done things. We didn't rack up debt. House is fully decorated. We pay for stuff and we move on so quickly as if nothing even happened because that's the way our system works financially for us. But that's not the norm of everyone's situation. And so, yeah, it does beg you to question with this responsibility why am I, why can I handle this? And for me, how do you not mess this up? <laughs> uh, to the point of Rakim or to your tail end point of 
people to use that trauma to where there's never enough <laughs> and they can't ever just stop pushing, even though they, they can stop and be good for a couple generations. No, that's real. And I'll just add to that really quick before we go to Nia. Um, to give you a good example, just this morning, I was like, okay, Tiffany, it's time to get back to basics. Go ahead and pop open your budget <laughs> and get that down packed. No, seriously, because I woke up this morning, I was like, dang, it's already the first of the month. I'm like, you know, I've already started taking off. So I'm like, do I have enough? And I started getting into panic mode. And I was like, okay, Tiffany, get back to basics. <laughs> you know, this is the only way you're going to get out of panic mode. You need to see it on paper. And when I actually did it, you know, I'm good on bills up until probably about the 15th or so of the month <laughs> right now. Um, but anyway, I had to go back to basics and say, okay, look at your budget, get your budget down pat, go through, make sure you're categorizing everything, go through, make sure every dollar has its job and what it's supposed to do. And when I did that, I felt an automatic relief because I was already about to go into that panic mode. So even sometimes when we get to that level to where, you know, we might have it, um, sometimes a trauma could be triggered like me, for instance, I'm like, dang, it's the first of the month. Do I have enough? <laughs> like, am I going to survive? And then for me, the budget system or whatever you want to call it helps me get back to reality and helps me kind of realize that things are good. So, um, I want to go to Nia. So first I want to say to Marquia, you are my mom and my best friend, um, they will do go to the moon, the back three times, but then anytime it's something for themselves, they'll cancel it quickly. They'll choose somebody else over themselves every single time. Um, and I agree with Rakim. It takes a cheerleader around you because I'm usually that cheerleader. I'll go get a basket full of their favorite things or send my mom flowers just randomly, you know, things to make them comfortable getting things and receiving things and make them comfortable with, that it's okay to receive something or I'll do stuff for them. Um, it's a process. Me, myself, um, I mean, I know a lot of people don't know my story, but I'm a single parent. My daughter is 21 and I raised her by herself. I got like that out of survival. So over the years, every year, my daughter, you know, children grow every season. So I will have to buy her new clothes pretty much every season. She was growing fast. She was eating every two hours. So it got to the point where I probably went like five years without buying myself a winter boots, buying myself a winter coat. And I live in Chicago, but I got so accustomed to not doing for me and out of survival doing it for her, it became a way of life for me. So I had to be very intentional myself. And I called the year 2021, which is the year that she kind of went out on her own. I called it year of me. And I spent a year learning how to be selfish and not selfish in the sense that I was, you know, foregoing everybody else, but selfish in the sense that I was putting myself first and I was making myself a priority. And it took the full year for me to do that. And now, you know, it's, it's, it comes naturally to me, but it was a process and it was something that I had to adjust to. And it took a while for me to even realize, you know, it took my mom to ask me something. I'm like, oh, I don't have a new coat. Like I'm, she's like, how long have you had that coat? I had this coat for years because I wouldn't always buy her stuff and make sure she was okay, make sure she was good. But I never would stop and do it for myself, you know? Um, and that, sometimes you don't even realize you're doing it and it takes someone else to come in and remind you. Yeah, that's real. Um, I want to go to Anthony and then Jonathan, then Ronnie. 
right. Um, so it seemed like Rakim had hit on a lot of parts because um, I was actually looking up the difference between fear and anxiety um, when Marquis had uh, mentioned talking about, you know, do you actually ever get over uh, that self of, you know, buying things for yourself? And just by definition, it was just saying fear is an emotion, uh, is an emotional reaction to a specific real danger while anxiety is an excessive and unfocused fear that may be triggered by a variety of stimuli. And the cool thing I like about that was that, you know, when it comes to anxiety is something that lingers around versus your stress is just immediate because it's actually a, a recognized something that's there, but then you constantly going back and forth. And the reason why I can kind of relate to that, cause I just sent out my first email to everybody. And I was like, how is people going to feel about this? Like I was like, I felt great about it. Anthony. I liked your newsletter. It was great. Thank you. Thank you. Cause I, I felt really nervous about it. Cause I wasn't sure if I was going to fail, if I fail on this first one, how many unsubscribers will I have? How many people are actually going to stay locked in? And then what's going to happen next? And when it comes to sales, because I'm bouncing all over the place because it all kind of relates to that stress or the anxiety of self-worth. Because when we look at how, how do we move on beyond the fear of failing? And I think it could go back to the the traumas that we brought up in, in grade school. It's like, we were always taught, Hey, if you fail, you're horrible, you're a horrible person. Like it's on you instead of understanding, Hey, it's the situation. Let's change it. Let's work together. We didn't, well, at least I know I didn't have those conversations growing up. Like, Hey, it's okay to fail. It's okay that you didn't make it this time. How can we start changing that? that fear of failing into a positive energy or can we spin it? It's okay to fail, but understanding that failing is part of the process. And I think that's one of the things that we, well, I can say that I myself is still working on. And when I start to talk to people about their finances, I try to let them know, Hey, you know, Hey, we all been there. It's okay. You can always bounce back. It's just money. It's a tool. It's like you lost a screwdriver. You can go out and get another one or find one somewhere else. Um, So not to make the stress longer than what it needs to be, but to understand like, hey, you're okay, you're alive, you got a pulse, we we can keep going. And that's one of the things that um, that kind of brought to my thought process um, about this. And thank you so much, Marquia, for that. Thank you, Anthony. And just your story right there goes back to Rakim's story. And it was all you telling yourself all these stories like, oh, my gosh, people are going to unsubscribe. They're going to hate it. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. And none of those things probably really happen. So it's all like it just goes back to that, like every single time, it sounds like, um, even in my situation, too. Uh, Jonathan? Uh, one, a couple of things that you guys mentioned. Number one, um, I'm with you, Tiff. Uh, I just, for the first time, I think in the last year, um, started an automatic draft for one bill, and that's my cell phone bill, um, because honestly, I can't handle it. Somebody having access to my account, I never liked that. I was hard fast against it. I'm like, what if something happened? Now, and that's even with, hey, I keep a 
the buffer in the check-in like everybody suggests, but I still don't feel comfortable with that. Um, so I get it. It, it locks you in. It, it kind of helps you remind. Uh, the second thing I, uh, I want to add a note to Marquia's note, I'm the same way with, <laughs> I don't buy pretty much anything. Anything I got, I have desires, but for the most part, my wife at some point will break down and go get something that she knows I want just to make sure I'm getting things um, from supporting the house and supporting everybody else. But no, I don't feel comfortable receiving gifts. I don't feel comfortable receiving acknowledgement. That's just never been my, um, I've never just digested well. I just try to make sure whatever I can help somebody else. Um, and then Anthony, on your point, just, uh, there's a couple of things that run through my mind with the unsubscription. A lot of things is, uh, first of all, the failing piece, I don't know how many people you guys see up and down your timelines or what kind of podcast you listen to or um, news or what have you. But the one thing that's very apparent right now, and it might be because kind of the newer trend of developing content is people want to have more humor, human interactions. And so they're sharing a lot more of their stories, but the forefront of their stories is a whole, whole, whole lot of failure. <laughs> and even the people who have large platforms or they are seemingly successful in business, how old is that business? It's not been that long. So it's just one of those things that it's not, it's not a grudge against anyone. Uh, I'm happy for everybody's success, but I don't discount the fact that because somebody has some success in YouTube or in their career or what have you, they didn't have a series of failures that went along with that. But to others that, oh, what if somebody unsubscribed? Well, if I could offer just a little bit of encouragement, sometimes people unsubscribe unknowingly because the system just unsubscribed them. And then sometimes somebody uns unsubscribed that had nothing to do with you, they just unsubscribe for whatever trauma they're dealing with or whatever issue in their mind they do. It's a whole host rather than I put out a product that somebody didn't like. Maybe you put out a product so good that it caused them to think and reflect and they couldn't handle the accountability that came along with it. <laughs> Thank you for that, Jonathan. And, you know, I'm glad you brought up that last point because Y'all, if I unsubscribe to anybody, do not take it personal. I've been on an unsubscribe spree just because my email inbox is out of control. So it has nothing to do with your content. It's just me and my inbox and my trauma being triggered because I'm used to inbox zero. So I just wanted to put that out there. Um, so I'm going to go to Ronnie and then Kamari and then Rakim, I think was that order. Hey, Tiff, I think you unsubscribe for me, too, so please fix that. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> so I just want to add my little two cents to the to the discussion. Hopefully it aligns with the topic. Um, so in terms of financial trauma, as I started to think about that, um, a lot of my trauma came from when I was younger, actually. And I had mentioned this on earlier, uh, I guess, podcast, uh, where I was raised by my mother. So in a single-parent household, um, I don't know if anybody's been in that type of situation, but man, it's rough financially. Financially, it's rough on the parent. Uh, and as a child, you know, because, you know, mothers, they super women, they do their thing. So you don't notice it initially, right? You got all your needs, you got your food, water, you got the house, 
you know, toy, whatever you need, everything is taken care of. But as you start to grow and get a little older and become more aware, you start to notice that the parent is really, she, my mom was really working, you know, multiple jobs just to make this thing work out. Right. So a lot of my trauma came from that. And what it did for me, it impacted me in two different ways. There were positive and a negative impact. The positive was that it made me extremely ambitious, extremely ambitious. I'm like, okay, now I got to go get it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I have to go get it because I can't go through the same thing my mom was going through. I can't go through the same thing, you know, her sisters were going through because this was a family thing. It was like a disease almost. That sounds bad, but that's how I felt. So I had to go get it. You know, I got to accomplish everything. That paid off financially. Uh, but what it also did from, a, I guess, the negative aspect of it is, you know, if you've been through a situation like that, you know, you hold on tight to a dollar, right? And on the surface, people may be like, what's, what's the problem with holding on to your money once you get it? The problem is, I remember when I was in my mid-20s, I missed out on a couple investment opportunities that would have set me up tremendously like today. All right. I missed out on a lot of opportunities because I didn't want to, you know, use some of my capital to make the investment. So that was the negative impact. Now today I've I had to put in some work to kind of overcome that. And now, you know, I, I take advantage of my investments, but, that's how that impacted me growing up in that type of environment. But that's that's my two cents I want to add to the discussion. Well, I can go into a lot with that, but um, <laughs> Kamari? Everybody, um, I had a couple of thoughts for you. Everybody was going through everything. But good evening, everybody. By the way, I don't want to be rude. Um, Anthony, first things first, since you said that. When people unsubscribe, it's actually a great thing. And I learned this from a copywriting genius mastermind buddy of mine. Is that everybody's not meant for your message. And so it, the better, the faster they unsubscribe, the less time you spend on them. And it took me a long time to learn that. And he helped me see that. Because I had, quote unquote, friends and family members who were on my, uh, my listserv. And they would unsubscribe. And I would take it personal. Sometimes I wouldn't speak to folks. I'd be so bad about that. Like, almost like it was a rejection of me, but it actually wasn't a rejection of me. Sometimes they had multiple emails and I didn't realize it. That were my listener. Sometimes they just didn't want to see it. But after a while, I got used to it and I realized it's actually a great thing because it was helping me get to my, what they call 1,000 true fans. So it helped me eliminate all the BS and get to the real core people. It's like, you know, shining up your diamond, so to speak. You got to chisel away all the bad stuff and get to the good and get it to glisten and shine real quick. So that was one of the lessons I learned. I'm still kind of learning that lesson because I personally have been in a funk with my email. Honestly, I'm kind of in a funk with, with my content overall, but it's just something you kind of got to fight through. Just you know, just something you gotta, gotta fight through. But going back to financial trauma, um, one trauma I've been fighting, well, I've kind of overcome, but it still rears its head, is that I've been an entrepreneur for a long time, so my cash flow has been all over the place, and so I've learned to hoard cash, and a lot of times that's bad 
because if I feel like money is not coming through um, in a way that I'm comfortable with, I won't pay a bill. And I'll play the game of, you know, going as long as I can until work when it comes in until I feel comfortable to pay that bill. And sometimes that's cool, but sometimes it isn't, especially when it might impact your credit, your credit rating. So, but again, I don't like not having money to pay for my kids' food and whatever else is coming in. So I'll deal with that little hiccup to make sure I always have cash. So that that's one of my traumas that, you know, I'm pretty much over um, for the most part. Good marketing kind of helped that, or I won't say good marketing, more marketing has helped that to keep my lead flow coming. Um, but, you know, that's definitely something that I had to battle with, something I had to battle with. Thank you so much for sharing, Kamari. And that's real. Um, I've struggled with that, too, as well, where I'm like, I I consider myself a super saver, um, which, like Ronnie said, like you said, can be detrimental to you. Um, It's not all good. And so that comes from all these different traumas that both of you all hit on. But it's like I told myself for a long time, I can't hire anybody because if I hire someone then what if I can't sustain them? What if I can't make ends meet anymore? And so I didn't hire anybody for a very, very long time. And as a result, I struggled. (laughs) I struggled hard. When I finally hired someone, lo and behold, bam, I could still pay for them and I can still operate more um, to a greater level. So anyway, I just want to- Listen, I'm still dealing with that part too. (laughs) Yeah, it's- The hiring part, oh man. And that's related to another trauma I had from another business partnership I had that went bad. And we had a contractor that didn't get paid. We was unraveling everything. And I kind of believe in not leaving people and trying to stay true to my word as much as possible. So I wound up paying that person until we wound up paying them. But I got left with that bad. So, yeah, definitely trauma. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And I mean, even to this day, like, even though I hire people, they're all contractors. Like, I would love to hire somebody as an employee, um, but I'm just scared that I won't be able to continue to pay them. And then they'll be without a job. Maybe they quit my job, quit their job to work for me. Now I can't afford them anymore. You know, so all of this stuff goes through my head. But anyway, we're not here to talk about my traumas. Um, I think it was Rakim and then Nia. Yeah, so uh, first off, I think, you know, it's really interesting how we started this conversation around um, feeling undeserving of uh, money or, you know, financial success. And it's it's quickly pivoted into financial trauma. And maybe that's my fault. Maybe it's not um, because I could talk about this all day, but. Um, I wanted to hit on something that I think Ronnie and Nia talked about, and that was not taking time to stop and celebrate our victories. Because I think some of the trauma too, as I listen to like everybody tell this story, and um, you know, I've recently shared this here on Twitter that you know I've always been high performing. I've always viewed myself through the lens of you know high performing, on a roll, like you know all the good stuff, right? And so because we get so used to just, you know, doing the next thing, moving on to the next thing, and we don't 
give ourselves the grace and take the time to celebrate the victories, big and small. I do think that that um, has a way of kind of exacerbating the traumas that we experience because when we experience it, it's a lot heavier and we allow ourselves to sit in that trauma or at least sit in the reaction to that trauma much longer than we allow ourselves to kind of bask in the success that comes from the work that we put in. And so as I'm listening, like I said, to everybody talk about their experiences and their traumas relating to money, I'm also not hearing that we're celebrating our wins. And so one of the things that um, I've committed to out loud is going into 2023, celebrating the victories out loud, um, the old victories and the new victories. I think, you know, like for me, my biggest victory is um, this year is going from January 1 to, I mean, we're not there yet, but we will be there December 31st as a 100% independent contractor, you know, self-employed individual. Like that's huge for me. And I had to like get smacked in the head kind of, you know, so to speak. One day I was driving back home from Starbucks and I'm like, man, like, I really did this. And it was hard and, you know, there was good days and there was bad days. But I was like, man, I really did that. And so um, I really want to underscore and emphasize the value of community, the value of building a team. Um, As I celebrate three years from delivering a TEDx talk where that was my call to action as well. When we have these, these conversations weekly or when we have our daily group chat or wherever we get together and we get to amp each other up for the next thing. I think that we also need to remind ourselves to like, what is your win? What did, what did you, what are you proud of yourself for? Uh, because somebody's response to that rant kind of hit me and it was like, and they said to me, don't let us celebrate you more than you celebrate you. And I was like, damn, like that's deep. And so, um, so that I, I wanted to share that really quickly. And then there was the other thing that I wanted to share is that, I um, had a podcast episode with um, an individual. Her name is Martha Menard. Uh, she's a PhD. She works uh, for a company that I actually contract with. And we were talking about how um, in her previous life, she was a massage therapist. And so very like involved with, you know, close, of course, close contact, touching, you know, with the body and stuff. And she shared that as children we don't learn how to, or we don't know how to process things that are uncomfortable or trauma. So what we do is it's kind of like involuntary, like muscular clench, like we tense up. And um, we train ourselves from that young age to hold on to stress in our body. And so um, I see uh, Stephen Hughes in the room Shout out to Steve. Um, I, I think about him and I think about other practitioners who also focus on like that mind-body connection or that mind-body-spirit connection um, because a lot of our trauma is also like resting in our joints and our muscles. And so um, as we talk about, you know, your brain not being able to decipher between, you know, the real or the fabricated we also have to um, learn how to get to those spots that we have a hard time kind of touching or, or massaging out. 
And so um, I just want, you know, these things to be um, conscious parts of our conversation as well as we talk about healing and overcoming and coming face to face with these traumas. Thank you so much. And I just want to do a quick tip to your second point um, as far as celebrating our wins and things like that. Um, If you're a creator, one strategy that I have employed over the past year or so is just keeping track of everything that I get featured in, all of the wins that I've had. So I have a whole Notion page dedicated just to all the links of all the podcast episodes, all the um, Yahoo finances and, you know, all of that stuff. So that way, when I get into a low, like Kamari said, he's in a content low right now, I can look back and say, oh, but wait a minute, here's all this content right here. And this is all of the stuff that I've done over the years that I can now repurpose or I can now look back on and say, I did that, (laughs) you know, and then even if you're not a creator, here's another strategy. If you work for someone, so if you're employed, when I used to be an employee, I would keep track of all the wins I made for the company. And that serves two purposes. One, I can go back and say, I did that. (laughs) And then two, it helped when it came time to negotiate for raises during our annual reviews. I would have everything that I contribute and how that contributed to the bottom line. And therefore, I always had the top of the top raises. But like I used to tell people in corporate America, nobody's going to celebrate you like you. So don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be afraid to like talk about your wins. You know, a lot of times they say, oh, you bragging, you need to kick it down a notch, whatever. But no, like if you don't do it, nobody else will. So those are just some strategies. And then just on a day to day basis, um, I do my top three goals for the day. And as long as I knock those three out and I keep track of them so that way I can look back and say, oh, I really did have a productive day, even though sometimes when I don't do that at the end of the day, I'm like, what did I do today? (laughs) You know, Um, at least I can look back and say, oh, I did these three things. So I just wanted to put those strategies out there really quick. So Nia. So I wanted to say kind of echoing what you said, Tiffany, another tip I normally give my students is to get a jar or a shadow box or something like that. And throughout the year, um, they can put it down in there, something that they did that they were happy about, especially if they're on their financial journey. So when they get to that point where they're beating themselves up and they're anxious about their goals and they're being very impatient with themselves, they can look through that jar and see all the things that they have accomplished. And then secondly, I just wanted to highlight how being unworthy shows up as an entrepreneur. I feel like we have issues with, pricing, um, choosing how much to charge. Uh, We struggle with going after big opportunities that are new to us. We let ourselves talk ourselves out of it and it kind of relates to the same thing, but on the entrepreneurial level. Um, I myself, that's the the I experience. I wouldn't charge enough. You know, I wouldn't charge, not even my worth because I can't charge my worth. I can only charge my rate. Um, So I would find myself lowballing myself and then you find out that, oh, you, you know, this is the going rate for that. I think me and Marquia talked about this at FinCon. Um, so is that something that I feel like it also shows as an entrepreneur how you have those worth issues when it comes to charging for your services or products? Yes. And that might be a whole nother space. because I could definitely get into that. Um, <laughs> but I'm not going to hit on it right now. Uh, Moali? Hey, good evening, everyone. Uh, it's Miley. Just wanted to uh, chime in on a couple of things and 
everyone hit the nail on the head. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm thinking of how, you know, our parents, um, they did the best they could, um, whether they were working on their own or collaboratively, but they left us with some level of trauma. And that's what we see uh, from day to day. And um, I know for, I think for someone like me, it's more of the, um, the, the anxiety of contemplating specific purchases and things like that, you know, but ultimately I think in having communities, just like Rakim said, um, and having a, a space where you realize that uh, some of these feelings aren't necessarily unique. Um, this past weekend, <clears throat> we took, um, so my wife and I took uh, the kids to uh, kind of like a, a Polar Express type of thing where they could get on a train and this Christmas experience. It was cool. Right? We, we also did it with another family. And we also went and got something to eat afterwards. And it was just interesting to see how that family you know, their kids are also about four and six years old, like mine. And <laughs> the other family, you know, one of the kids wasn't really listening like that. And, you know, I, I, <laughs> I don't have a problem telling the kids, hey, hey, you know, I'm, I'm always on the parent side. You got to listen to your parents. And so go over there, do that, you know, do what you need to do. And <laughs> his dad overheard me said, you know, it's good to know that, uh, <laughs> that other people are going through what I'm going through too. <laughs> Cause he's seen, he's seen me correct my kids and, you know, they try to correct theirs and they understand that. Like, I guess what I'm saying is at times misery does love company, but there is some level of healing in that company. And I feel like it's important to, to make sure you don't negate that, that uh, whether we want to call it fellowship or, you know, I don't want to say it's like a, we're not, no one's complaining or anything like that, but I think it's important to understand that like, and that we shouldn't feel um, so negative about it when we do hesitate to buy something or when we put other people before ourselves. And, um, and some of us are in different places too. Um, there, there are times where someone will tell me, oh, you need to, you should go. You, that's, that's a great thing. You should celebrate that. And I was like, I am, but at the same time too, like, I don't want to take my victory lap yet. So, so everyone's level of uh, competition is going to be different. Everyone's, um, I guess, uh, time to celebrate is going to be different. Uh, it's important to just be gracious in that moment for sure. Uh, but I do think it will display itself differently from person to person. But communities like this, I think, are a great way to to uh, really um, create that balance and understand like, OK, this is normal. OK, thanks. <laughs> so thank you all. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely helps. And I apologize for the name again. <laughs> I know you're like, Tiffany, you do this every week. <laughs> Don't you worry. Don't you worry. <laughs> hey, what's going on, everybody? Um, so I'm, I'm not exercising anymore. I've been stationary for a while. Um, first, just would want to say, man, I love, 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 love the conversation. And I was going to share something different, but uh, Rakim, there was something that he said where he was just talking about uh, this idea of celebrating ourselves and just thinking about all of the good that has happened. And so it just took me in a, a little bit of a different direction, thinking about uh, worthiness of financial stability. Uh, so I, I'll be brief in just saying I was really fortunate in so many ways of at least growing up with some 
some foundational things around money and finances of at least having a feel of understanding living within my means, making sure to save some money uh, for for rainy days to come in the future. And, you know, there were some negatives that came with that of, of just not knowing uh, how to make that transition to building wealth. But, but I wanted to really show my uh, parents some love in the things that they did that really prepared me for uh, just success beyond what, what I uh, was able to grasp. And, and so one of the things that they were really intentional about is they told me that they named me Stephen because the name meant royalty or crowned one and that they were intentional in in picking that name and that the they were especially my mom just very uh consistent about being encouraging and just helping me form real self-confidence of just hey you belong in any room that you're in you're not uh, you don't take a backseat to anybody no matter what society says yet having some balance of, but I'm not beyond anybody either. And so getting, getting to be around that, there's, there's a lady um, that I want to give her a shout out. This lady name is Jackie. She's a family friend. Uh, I can remember when I was young, she used to always call me the million dollar man. Uh, when I was around like 10 to 11 and then pretty much there on, She'd always call me the million dollar man uh, just because she could see how I thought about numbers and money and just different, different things like that. That was like, Hey, this, this kid seems really, really, really smart. Um, and the power of that is it's hard to quantify when I think back looking at my life of just there were so many perceived ceilings that I did not have as a result of the people that my folks made sure I was surrounded by and the things that they were saying uh, to me. And it wasn't really until I had gotten some multiples beyond my parents where, where I really started to feel just some like, concern or insecurity about, hey, how far can I really run this thing up? Um, and I, I won't get into the story tonight, just just for the sake of time, because I see where we are right now. Um, but there was one opportunity uh, about, this would have been in 2014, that because I had some personal uncertainty about um, whether I could handle it or not, that it ended up costing me at least $2 million in gains of, of what I would have gotten if, if I could have fully executed um, what the opportunity was in front of me. But, but I, didn't, I didn't know uh, anybody at that time 
who was doing what I was trying to do. And I was already doing really well at that point. Um, but don't cry for me. I mean, it, it, I'm still doing all right, I promise. Um, but uh, I just thought I'd share just a little bit of a different angle uh, on my story of just some of the positive things. Um, so I appreciate y'all. Thank you so much, Stephen. Let me hold the hundred. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, but that's awesome. That's phenomenal. Uh, Markia? He really tried to speed past that two million. Like, we wasn't going to be like, run that, run that back. Sir, what? Like, okay, but that wasn't what I wanted to What's say. What's the play? Can we get the collection played around? Right, I'm going to run it back in the replay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kamari mentioned being in a creative, like, lull. And something that I had told a couple of y'all about previously, I think it might have been in the group chat, but I've been using something called repurpose.io. And what I really like it because I set my own work streams. So whenever I post to TikTok, my content automatically posts to other platforms without the watermark. And it's really, really cool because it won't post my previous content. So I still get the option to use it, but I would have to manually submit that post. So let's say a day where I'm not feeling it. I just don't got nothing in me to create anything. I'd be like, you know what? I'm just not going to post on TikTok today, but I could post on some of the other platforms, right? So then I could manually log in, go to Pinterest, and it it catalogs every single post I ever made on TikTok, and I can just pick a post, and it'll go ahead and submit it to Pinterest or submit it to Twitter or Facebook or in my group. Um, And the website is repurpose.io. And I love it. I've been using it for about a month now. It's super, super easy. Whatever I type as the caption will be the caption no matter where it's posted. Um, For Instagram specifically, though, it'll only work for Instagram if you have a business account, not a creator account. So that's like my only gripe right now. But they're also like really interactive customer service wise. So they try to like release patches based off what people are saying that they need. So hopefully they'll be fixing that soon. But Kamari, that could be really useful because you do have a lot of content. Um, It's just that you know, it, it's not easy repurposing it when you're having to manually do it. Like, I've got to take the post, i got to put it on this website to get the watermark off, and then i got to take that, and i got to put it here, then i got to type a caption. But if this website just makes it, like, ten times easier, in all honesty. Um, and then um, I think it was Tiffany who talked about, like, the importance of, like, cataloging all of the things that she's done for her company. That really brought up a really, really good point. And this is something that I've learned in the military that I've managed to bring with me now that I'm working in a corporate space. But we used to do something in the military called an I Love Me book. Um, like, one of the best, one of my best NCOs in the world taught me this. Because only you care enough about your career to catalog every good thing that you've done. HR is not there for you. Your manager is not there for you. So it's your job to make sure that you are recording all of the good things that you're doing. Not only that, you, it's your job to make sure that you are staying relevant in your field so that if anything happens, your, your, your spears are sharp. If you got to jump ship and, and get to the next one, you, you got it because you have a catalog of all the things you've been able to accomplish, um, skill development on point. So you've been taking all the courses and, and utilizing all the benefits of your current employer for like tuition assistance or, you know, taking like additional trainings, like Google trainings and stuff like this. But like 
you know, for the military, we used to, the, every time the army sent me to a training, my certificate was going in my book. Every time I took a class, my certificate went in that book. Like, um, my transcripts, I would update them after every semester. Like, it's like you put as much as you can into this book because this book can be the difference between it taking you six to 12 months to find a new job or I'm starting somewhere else in two weeks. And it also helps you, I feel like for me anyway, it helps me realize my value. On those days when I felt like a crappy soldier or I felt like I just wasn't making it or somebody was trying to make me feel like a crappy soldier or trying to insinuate that I wasn't pulling my weight, it was nothing for me to pull my book out and be like, bro, play with your mama, don't play with me because I definitely, yeah, I'm, I'm that girl. So, you know, I think that's something else that we could probably, you know, and to Nia's point about the wind jar, um, I shared in the group that I actually started that at the beginning of this year. To that point, even if you don't have something as elaborate as an uh, I Love Me book, that wind jar, that, that boost of confidence, that small little boost to your serotonin that you get when you read about something amazing that you've been able to accomplish, like, we need that. A lot of us, like, for myself... Like, I love y'all dearly, but sometimes, you know, I'm still not comfortable sharing parts of myself. I'm not a very open person um, in some aspects. So, like, for me, I'm not ready for that community yet. So sometimes when I'm having one of those moments, I go to my wind jar. That's a way for me to still get that boost. Um, and it's not coming from somebody else. It's coming from me. So I know it's authentic. It's not somebody just trying to tell me what I want to hear or it's not somebody just trying to say something to me to make me feel good so they could use me later, like little stuff like that. So, um, but that was something I wanted to touch on. And then I also wanted to speak from the lens of being a survivor of financial abuse. That plays a huge role in my financial lens. Um, even now, all these years later, my current husband and I have been together for about the last decade. Um, but prior to that, I was in an extremely abusive marriage. Um, and unfortunately, one of the things that I experienced was financial abuse, where I wasn't allowed to touch money. I had no, I had a whole full-time job. I had no idea how much money I was bringing in. Um, you know, I didn't know how to pay bills or like where to even go to pay these bills or how much the bills were on average. And so when I left, bro, it was like, I felt like, you know how they say when birds have babies and they push them out the nest and if they die, they die. Like low key, that was me. I was on the ground kind of flapping around for a little bit and so that trauma of having that happen so fast is another one of the reasons where I find it really really hard for me to take care of myself because I was always taught that I can't take care of myself I was taught that I'm not important enough to take care of like may, I have to make sure everything else is fine first before I can even think about potentially justifying a purchase for myself and you know that's something that you know to Rakim's point you know that's something that you always deal with, but like, and you know, I have my coping skills and I'm in therapy, you know, I go to group and, you know, and, and all that other stuff. But, you know, again, that's something that manifests itself in different instances. So like, yeah, this time, all right, I made it out. I, I identified what it was. I got past it. You go, girl. You bought the thing. But then another time, it'll stop me dead in my steps. And I'm like, all right, no, I don't need it. That's fine. I'll just go do something else now. So it's... You know, it's, it's crazy having these conversations and coming up with these realizations as I hear you guys talk because, you know, I was looking at it as I'm never going to get past this. I keep coming up against this when in reality, it's more so like the thing. Is, it's not that you overcome the thing itself. You learn how to handle it when it comes. And so as long as I'm utilizing the tools that I've learned over the years and leaning on the people in my village and, and you know, journaling and doing all of these things that have been a benefit to me over the years, like, 
like, like, you know, I'll be able to, you know, get past this. Um, and everybody ain't perfect. You know, Michael Jordan lost a couple too. So, you know, sometimes it is going to stop me in my tracks. I just have to learn how to be, and that's another thing. I have to learn how to be okay with failing. And, you know, that's to another point that was made earlier. I have to learn how to not necessarily sit in it, but to learn the lesson it's supposed to teach me and then move past it. But yeah, y'all on fire tonight. Let me just say, y'all are on fire. <laughs> Thank you, Markia. And, you know, that could be a whole different hour right there in itself is the financial abuse aspect and the different ways that just an abusive relationship in general can show up um, with your money. So, yeah, we might have to talk about that. Um, but I know we're wrapping up, but I know Stephen just requested to speak. So I wanted to see if he wanted to add really quick. Um, I have that, a question. That was, that was for me. Yeah, Stephen Hughes. Sorry, I forgot we have so, two Stevens. I was about to say, you know, you you doubled up on the Stevens in here. Yo, um, a, a couple of quick things. One, shout out to Stack for letting y'all know what the name Stephen means. I'm glad that he shared that with y'all. Um, but two, I'm glad that I was able to catch the. I feel like I always catch the replays, but um, glad that I could pull up with y'all this evening and uh, and really hear y'all jump into the things that we experience, even though we're in this space. I think that a lot of people kind of pause for the cause when it comes to them experiencing these types of thoughts and feelings because they're financial professionals. But um, I'm glad that we could rap about it in like a an honest, open, vulnerable, transparent form. Um, and so that's one thing that I'll say. Uh, the other thing that I'll mention is that uh, Rakim has been like talking about really how some of these things start and where we start with them. Um, and I, I love him for that because I, we need more people who are going to lean into the psychology and the financial therapy side of money um, so that we can do the things we need to do without comparing our financial challenges to um, European uh, descendants in this, in this country. And so um that's another thing that I'll mention, but uh, I ain't going to say no more else. I'm not going to say anything else because I know y'all wrapping up and I could go in about this all day long, uh, but it's good to see some familiar faces. Uh, drop yeah, we'll give you 15 minutes, Steve. Nah, we ain't doing that, bro. We ain't going to do this. <laughs> I'm like, what he just brought up, that's a whole nother hour. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even going to do that to y'all because I really, I really want to talk about like how these money beliefs that are currently being used to categorize things in financial psychology and behavioral finance, like impact us, like as black people and how we really think about money and move with it. But I don't want to, we ain't going to jump into all that tonight. Um, but I'm down to talk about it another time too. You know that. And so uh, y'all just want to say what's up. Appreciate y'all for having the space and holding the space. And I'm going to pull up next week. Sound like church. And I'm like, okay, so next week, um, <laughs> no, because that like, oh, that could be a whole other hour. Um, so we're definitely, if you really gonna come next week, Steve, we can tackle that next week. You really coming next week? I'm gonna pull up next week. Okay. All right, but is you gonna pull up on time next week? That's the real question. <laughs> that's not the. That's not the question. That's not. The yeah, question. that's serious. That time thing is serious. That's not the. We we are all we are all melanated people in here. The question is not about on time. The question is, will I be there? I'll, I'll be there. 
ACC because um, <laughs> we ran into this before like I only want to cover topics when the person's there to help cover the topic because otherwise we just all over the place so are you gonna I'll, put, I'll put it on my reasons? I'll put it on my calendar I'm just I just don't want y'all to think I'm gonna be here at nine zero zero and want like what the hell is going on I just I'm oh, working you know, on we working on liberated time so <laughs> Stop, not liberated time. All right, we're going to leave Stephen alone. <laughs> uh, but we might cover that next week. If he's if he's in here by 9.05, we will cover it next week. Thank, thank you for the, the five-minute warning. I can, I can pull up. Let me you put this shit on my calendar us. so I'm not tripping. <laughs> you know, some of us operate on CP. All right, is there anyone else that wanted to add to this discussion before we officially wrap up? For tonight. All right. It looks like we're good to go. So just a reminder, this is Fin Noir, a space for black money talk where we tackle all types of things um, regarding money as it relates to our community. As you see, um, and if you got here late or if you're listening to the replay and you missed who all was on the panel, make sure you rewind back and check that out because we have a panel of superstars up here. And um, make sure the people that are in the room, make sure you're following everyone, because as you can see, we all come from very different backgrounds. We have very different experiences and what may resonate with you may resonate with um, someone else. So just keep that in mind. Um, So thank you so much for coming to Fin Noir. We'll be here again next week, Monday at 9 p.m. on Twitter Spaces. If you're listening on the podcast or the replay, make sure to join us live so you can join into the conversation. So I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your night. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening, joining, and being a part of the Money Talk with Tiff podcast this week. You can check Tiff out every Thursday for a new Money Talk podcast. But if you just can't wait until next week, you can listen to previous podcast episodes at moneytalkwitht.com or follow Tiff on all social media platforms at Money Talk with T. Until next time, spend wise by spending less than you make. A word to the money wise is always sufficient.